You're listening to audio from Grace Community Church in Anger, North Carolina. More information about Grace Community Church can be found at graceccnc.org. Thank you, Lee. <clears throat> Thank you, Grace Community Church, for such a good report. And um, as interesting as that report is, I'm thinking about how it, much it ties in with some of the thoughts from the message this morning. Um, has there ever been a time that has provoked such mixed messages? And there's joy in following Jesus, but there is no doubt that there will be a cost for following Him. The powers that be not only disapprove of the gospel... Jesus' message, the leaders are threatened by our commitment to him. What price might we pay for following Jesus? We may lose houses, land, we might be canceled, and we may even pay with our lives. Now, you may think that is the introduction to this message in 2021 and how we're talking, but that's actually the exact kind of conversation that was carried on in the first century. Just after Peter had preached at Pentecost, and 3,000 men and many more women and children believed Jesus' message. Anyone who followed Jesus in Jerusalem after uh, his crucifixion and resurrection, risked running afoul of the Jewish leaders. And those who offended were put out of the synagogue. Now, you may think that's a small price to pay. Hey, one church throws you out, you go to a much better church. But you need to understand what it meant to be put out of the synagogue. You remember in John 9 where the man who had been born blind was brought before the authorities? And he was sort of digging at the authorities. And so they called the man's parents. And they didn't want anything to do with it. They would not run afoul of the leaders. They're saying, look, he, he's our son. He was born blind, but you're just going to have to deal with him. We, we got nothing to say about this miracle. Because they understood the consequences of going against the Jewish leaders. To be put out of the synagogue was to be fully ostracized. By the Jewish community. Your home could be confiscated. Members in good standing with the synagogue. Would not be allowed to have social contact with you. To do business with you. Or to even speak with you. And you thought. Contemporary culture was bad. Cancel culture. That is. In the, in the present day. It was in this context. That the early Christians sold land and houses and gave the money to the apostles for safekeeping. Now, this is just my speculation. This is my thinking. I could be putting two and two together and coming up with seven or eight. But it seems to me a very plausible explanation for why they did something so radical. They knew. We don't know what's going to happen in the next 10 years. They knew for a fact what was about to happen. Their land was going to be confiscated. They were going to be put out of the Jewish community for all intents and purposes. And the, Jew, and the Gentiles weren't really excited about dealing with Jews. They didn't think, well, 
Oh, okay, you're, you're a Christian now, so we can deal with you. No. They knew what was coming. My own thinking is that they had counted the cost. And they knew that they were going to lose those houses anyway. Better to put the money in the hands of the apostles for distribution, distribution as needed so that the new community could take care of all of its members when persecution came. Now, I'm, I'm not encouraging anybody to sell any houses, but I would suggest that every one of us pay our houses off as quickly as we can in preparation for the day where we become much more of a family than we are now. Maybe not meeting in here, but much tighter even than we are at present. Do you think we would have the level of commitment that the first century believers had? I'm not sure we would. The earliest believers knew what they were getting into. For us, it's more of a frog in the kettle thing, although biologists I know say that that's not a real thing, but the analogy, you get it. When, when it comes slowly, we're unprepared when the hammer falls. I think it'll be far more difficult for us to accept hard times than it was for the early believers. Today is the last Sunday in a series of messages titled, Time to Decide, Jesus or Self. Next week, we return to the Gospel of John, and we begin with David Calvert giving a review of the Gospel of John. Then we'll be jumping into John 17, that great prayer that Jesus prayed, not only for his disciples, but for us. Uh, so I'm looking forward to getting back into John, but we have spent this month thinking about the superiority of resting in Jesus over resolutions, about counting the cost of following Jesus, about marriage according to God's design, and about children and parents together in the Christian household. This concluding message is titled, How Shall We Then Live? Stealing from Francis Schaeffer from many years ago. The text today is Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 through 30. The setting for today's text begins with the Apostle Paul's circumstances. You need to know a little bit about Paul before you really appreciate the text. Paul had established the church some years earlier in Philippi, and he was beaten and thrown in jail for his efforts. You remember the story of Philippi. It was the first European church. Well, now, as he's writing the Philippians, he's back in jail. This time, though, more than a one-night stay in the jail. He is in Rome awaiting uh, an audience with Caesar. Uh, he's, a, he's a prisoner of some note because the imperial guard or, or Caesar's private guard, it's like his secret service, they're the ones who are guarding him. They would come in for three-hour shifts and be chained to the apostle Paul. Talk about a captive audience for the gospel. It wasn't Paul who was the one who was captive. And then, look, these troops, after they spent time in Rome, would go all over the world. Are you thinking what I'm thinking? It's one of the ways that the gospel spread in the early years. While we have not yet lost our homes to persecution, we're not in prison for our faith, the day will inevitably come in America, whether it is far off or sooner than we expect. It may not be in the next few years. 
may be, but it may not be. It may be many years away. But we're all called to live in expectation that there's a cost for following Jesus. We're told to take up our cross and follow him. How shall we live in such a climate? Look, I'll, I'll think of three more after I say this, but I think the books of Philippians, Hebrews, 1 Peter, and, and, and even Revelation. A lot of people think about Revelation as, as, as the end times. What's it going to be like then? Revelation is, is, is a great place to understand how to live under persecution. And the big lesson is we win in the end, not because of us, but because of Jesus. Today's text, Philippians 1, 12 through 30, is one of those important texts for learning how to endure persecution. I barely have time to read the passage and then give application for reflection. Uh, should we be looking at such times in rough waters in our lifetime? I'm going to ask you to stay seated for the reading of Scripture because I'm going to read the text deliberately and I want you to absorb as we go. Maybe even with your eyes closed, if that works for you. For some, it wouldn't. The, the, the Verses will be on the screen. Uh, and then I'm going to give seven points of application with minimal comments. But I do not want you to write these down unless you absolutely must. If that's your learning style and you're really not going to get anything out of this unless you write those points. I'm going to put them on Faith Life later today. If you're not on Faith Life, please see Ricky or, or, or Jeff in particular and they'll get you set up on Faith Life. It's our church's information site. Um, but I just want you to, to, to just process this in thought. Reflect on this this morning as we go through uh, these, this text and these points. So Philippians 2, 12, with Paul writing under house arrest. Philippians 2. 1, 12, I mean, not 2, I'm sorry. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened, or my imprisonment, what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, strange how that happened, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. As is my eager expectation, in other words, that I will be freed from jail. As is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but with 
will full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. So I may get out, may not. Doesn't matter, verse 21. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. Sounds like somebody that really believes this, doesn't it? But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Seven points of application, beginning with this. Recognize, how shall we live? Recognize that the work of the gospel is bigger than your individual life. It is a privilege to have a role in God's plan. We do not like to think of ourselves as pawns or as foot soldiers in the first wave of attack. We like to think of ourselves as difference makers, as purpose-driven believers and ministers, as initiators, not reactors, not passive. But what if God's role for us is to minister in less glorious ways? Is our life more valuable than that of the North Korean who kept it secret for about five years and then died for his faith? Or in Saudi Arabia? Are, are we more important than they? I, I think we may find, like Jimmy Johnson used to say, we're going to all line up in heaven like we think we ought to be rewarded. And the Lord's going to say, about face! And the first shall be last, and the last shall be first. What if our job is to be faithful where we are and let God be sovereign and use us as he will, whether anyone ever knows about us or not. It's going to all look different in eternity. And the only question that we'll need answering is, was I faithful? Second, Philippians is known as the book of joy. The closer Paul was to persecution, the more he rejoiced. Now, don't get me wrong. 
there, there are several places in the book of Acts and, and other of Paul's writings where we see that he was more discouraged, probably more discouraged than we are aware. But the Lord stood with Paul in the dark times, and so he was encouraged and soon filled with joy. Paul counted it a privilege, just like Peter and John and the, the apostles that came out of, out of the meeting with the Sanhedrin, having been beaten, thanking God that they had been counted worthy to suffer for Christ. Third, practice the discipline of loving your opponents, both inside the Big C Church and those outside the covenant family. Paul's detractors within the church were likely Jewish believers who, though given grace from God, still struggled with legalism. Now, here's the interesting thing. Lee Wilford and I were talking about this the other day. You know, you've got um, legalist on one side, you've got prosperity gospel on the other side, but they all end up at the same place, you know, and like Lee said, they're, they're bumping into each other. And these legalists thought that Paul's circumstances indicated that they were right, Paul was wrong. It was like Presbyterians being put in jail in our day and the Baptists congratulating themselves. I told you those Presbyterians were wrong. I guess it was God's will for them to be in jail. Or vice versa. You know how it goes. Even though some gloated over his imprisonment, Paul was grateful nonetheless that the gospel was being preached. This is really one of the most stunning attitudes in Scripture outside of Jesus saying, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. What is it about the gospel that riles people? So, look, these Jewish believers had been extended grace by God, but they really still... They hung on and clung to the, to the law. They, 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 they liked what they heard the Judaizers say. Some who said it's Jesus plus the law. They, they said, no, it's Jesus, but we really understand the importance of the law. You would think that we would all be grateful since we are sinners who stand before a holy God. That we don't have to be good enough because we never can be good enough. But Jesus was. He died on the cross for our sins. And if we repent of our sins and trust him, then we're, we go to heaven. Why wouldn't we be grateful for that? Well, for many, uh, the gospel will just not allow the narrative that they won't, which is, I am good how dare you? How dare you say that I'm not good enough? Loving our opponents may be the most important point of this message. For we who live in a time when the citizens of our land are more divided, more polarized by the hour. For just a moment. I want to think of those in these last few weeks who have riled your anger and even your disgust. Those on the other side who have riled you up over the last few months, whether the side has to do with politics, social justice matters, biblical interpretations, or masks. 
So that should include everybody. Do you have those others in mind? Then give your anger and disappointment to Jesus. Forgive your opponents. Forgive your enemy. And ask God for the grace to love those who oppose you, both inside and outside the church. If Paul could do this in his circumstances, so can we by the power of the Holy Spirit. Fourth, be prepared to die for Jesus. To live is Christ, to die is gain. We are more isolated from death than almost any generation in history, although hospice that is now called transitions has helped with that some. Perhaps our unfamiliarity with death, death as a normal and natural process is part of our struggle with COVID, it's, which is a horrible virus for those of you who have had it. I'm not making light of it. I have a daughter-in-law and a daughter who are sick right now, very sick with COVID. Please pray for them, along with the others in our church who may or may not know that they have it or that it's on their doorstep. So I'm not in any way saying this is not a serious thing. It is a serious thing. But what about dying in the service of Jesus? Are you willing? Don't be absurd, you may think. Really? Are you willing to settle there? Time for us to prepare and when we, like Paul, can say, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain, we are ready for full service. So, I, look, I'm, uh, we're not going to be talking about these things a whole lot going forward. We're going to be doing just exactly what the first church did, and that is to get in the Word, dig in there, and understand it. But here's the call today. Are we ready? Fifth. We do not face persecution alone. We live, love, rejoice, and suffer together as the body of Christ. The Philippians of Paul's affections were the poor Macedonians about whom he wrote to the Corinthian church. There were few that Paul esteemed more highly than these dirt poor, generous believers and his brothers and sisters in Philippi. And in verses 18 and 19 of our text, Paul wrote that his sanctification was dependent upon the prayers of his brothers and sisters in Philippi. Brothers and sisters of grace, we need each other. We're going to talk about Wednesday for our day of prayer and fasting. You've got the insert <coughs> Excuse me, you've got the answer. There are going to be more prayer points given this week. We're going to meet inside, mask required in the back room, Wednesday at 6.30. And our focus is going to be unity in a time of COVID, which should look a whole lot like unity, not in a time of COVID. We are bound together. We need each other. Do not let anything move you from the one's with whom the Lord has bound you in this brief moment, 
we have to advance the kingdom. If you were Satan and you were about to bring on persecution, wouldn't your first point of order be to get the church divided as you possibly can? Don't throw in with Republicans, Democrats, some political. We are the church of Jesus Christ. We need each other. Sixth, a life worthy of the gospel is a clear sign to those who do not know Jesus that the gospel is truth. You may be mocked for your faith, but make no mistake. When you stand with Jesus in gospel proclamation in the face of threats leveled against those who would be so bold or foolish based on one's perspective to proclaim the gospel. When you stand like that, then your opponents will be terrified. Why would that be? If you're stupid and messing things up, hey, it's good to just get rid of Christians. No, they'll be terrified because you might be right. And that terror perhaps will lead them to repentance and salvation. Can't you see this playing out in Paul's mind when he assented to the stoning of Stephen? What if, what if, I'm, what if I'm wrong? What if Stephen's right? He made a really good case. Last, determined to joyfully say yes to God's call for Jesus' followers to suffer, which according to Philippians 1.29 is as real as his call for us to believe. I do not know better how to end this sermon than by reading again the last verses of our text, beginning with verse 27. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel and not frightened in anything. That's not easy. By your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had back in Philippi when he was in jail, and now here that I still have. Amen. Would you bow with me in prayer? Father, we thank you that, that, that although this is in, in, in many senses a, a, a word of warning to us, it's a, it's a word also, it's a call not only to suffer but to joy. And may we see that Joy, may you not allow this text or any message or anything that anybody says to terrify us, but rather to encourage and strengthen and comfort in our hearts. May we understand our call to love you, to 
to love one another, and to serve Jesus with all of our hearts. We counted the cost. We recognize where we stand with the world, but that doesn't matter as long as we recognize where we stand with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Grace Community Church, located in North Carolina. Feel free to make copies of this audio content to share with others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Grace Community Church, go to graceccnc.org.